Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Talking About Music with Friends. My name is Brendan Michael Brady. I'm Blake Allen Harms, and we welcome this week our old friend, Jessica Kanani. Hi, Jess. Hey. Hi. I'm back. Thank oh, you for having so me again. <laughs> Very excited to uh, be honored with a second chance to be on the pod. Yeah, we, we wanted to have um, Jess back on because the first time we had her on, we were holding ourselves to an ungodly time restraint that we have come to find does not really work for our um, long-winded ability to you know discuss music with our friends so we yeah, wanted to have our listeners who love our content and want more <laughs> yeah exactly you know the streets have been clamoring um people have been asking you know when when's jess gonna come back on when's she gonna get her redemption episode when are you gonna let her do a monologue about um, melodrama well you guys here it is um th- this week we are talking about lord's melodrama from 2017 but first, um, there were a bunch of albums that like came out and were announced. So out of all of the stuff that was announced in the pre-show, we talked like Billie Eilish is going to drop her album in July, I think. Modest Mouse is coming out uh, with a new album in July. There have been a, a slew of other ones. So I wanted to give uh, or I wanted to see you know, what, what we're all excited about. Uh, Blake, you said that you had one that you were kind of, kind of excited about that has come out. Yeah. So there's a new, there's a, um, a producer, musician, orchestrator named Flying Lotus, who does a lot of work with um, different rappers. And he has taken up a passion project um, for a Netflix anime series that um, he wrote and produced the, the soundtrack for. And so I, um, I, I don't really, I'm not into anime, but I really love this album. Um, it's for Yakusu, Yasuke, actually. I don't, Yasuke, but it's a, it's a, it's a series <laughs> on Netflix. But, the, but um, well, why I think it's so interesting is it's, it's based in a lot of Afro beats mixed with some, really interesting um modern japanese music and like that kind of blending is it's like got a big long history in in rap like i think um outcast did a lot of mix of that kind of mixing and it's just always been a big part of rap and so it was really right wu-tang clan yeah and so it's just really interesting to hear like this big artist make a really interesting album that gets to like explicitly infuse both so that was the big like thing that i've been listening to but i'm you know there's a lot of other artists that are i'm interested in hearing their new stuff specifically um like we talked about in the pre-show j cole is coming out with a new album and no. i love uh his album <laughs> brendan is not excited does not understand j cole um, but I love yeah, I don't understand part him. three album, <laughs> which he made a couple years ago with a bunch of other artists, and it was really fun and boppy, and I am excited to hear what this is going to sound like. So that's uh, well, my little corner on new music. I'm I'm really excited for you that J. Cole's coming out with a new album. I won't be listening to it, but I'm thrilled to hear what you think of it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm kind of excited things i'm kind of excited for uh modest mouse because they came out with an album like oh i don't know it almost seems like six or seven years ago at this point but it was kind of fun and i i like them uh i've heard that their lead singer is a huge d-bag but he's really talented and he makes good music and so what if he's melodramatic that's like what artists are supposed to be like um i'm also kind of kind of intrigued about the new Billy album uh Billy Eilish that is it, it seems weird just calling her Billy um I listened to the song the new song and I was intrigued because it was a departure from everything I've kind of heard from her even her stuff that's really slow and quiet is 
pretty stripped down but this was like it seemed like just guitar and i only listened to it once so i don't have a great analytical take on it but it did intrigue me jess what did you think of it i really liked it i think it's been a big week for for billy eilish uh her vogue covers and shoot came out on instagram which huge moment for her kind of taking control of the conversation regarding her body as a 19 year old woman entering a new stage of her life in the entertainment industry um and i think the her new her new sound is just like we all have at 19 a very exciting change and and her kind of taking back a little bit of control after having such a such a stylized first album so i'm excited to see where she goes with us yeah the the covers were good did we decide if she just has a big like dragon tattoo on her hip is is that the vibe i was getting unclear but i don't know i'm sure at some point we'll get a full post I think it'd be really cool if she just had a huge dragon (laughs) tattooed on her hips. That'd be way sick. Like one of those that you see on those Hawaiian shirts with like Chinese characters. That would be absolutely dope. (laughs) Um, Anything else that you're excited about, Jess? Uh, Anything new coming out? You said that you listened to the new Coin album and it was meh. Yeah. I, it wasn't necessarily bad. It just wasn't what I like coined for. It honestly sounded like Noah and the whale and Lainey had a love child, which isn't a bad thing, but it just wasn't, again, what I listened to coin for. So the, the new album, it's called Rainbow Mixtape. It's worth a listen. I saved a couple of songs, Hypnotica specifically, but otherwise take it or leave it. Um, and then of course our lovely lady girl in red released her album if i could make it go quiet is what it's called i haven't listened to the full thing yet but we do know taylor swift is a fan and an endorser we'll let the uh gay community do with that what they will and my the songs that i have listened to off of it that i enjoyed were serotonin it's enjoyable i don't know those are the ones i'm excited about and then we do have confirmation from our from our queen of the week, Miss Lord, that an album is coming this year and it is produced by none other than Jack Avanoff, who we love to hate, we, we hate to love. Whatever you feel about him, you know it's gonna be a good album. So excited, excited to see that finally after four years of of uh, Dead Air. She's also been doing this thing that's really funny that where she's reviewing onion rings. Have you guys seen this on Instagram? She has an Instagram onion ring review account. Yeah. After the show, go look it up. But she, in the same vein as Rihanna making fun of her fans waiting for an album, she's just been reviewing onion rings at different places around where she's been traveling to. And it is hilarious. It's so funny. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll have to check that out. Celebrities, they're just like us. They make dumb food accounts too. <laughs> uh, um, she had to do something think, while Taylor Swift had him locked away. So, Well, I think that that segues us nicely into what we've been listening to. You mentioned you've been listening to Girl in Red. I listened to it and I think I need to listen to it again because I didn't get much out of it um so that i gotta i gotta put that on my to listen list uh so i can i can better appreciate it because it's getting a lot of hype and i liked a lot of her early stuff that came out in 2019 so i want to like this stuff too but for me i have been listening to joni mitchell's blue this week i had mm-hmm. never listened to it before uh when Heim put out Women in Music Part 3 this summer. They said that one of their biggest influences was Joni Mitchell, and I just kind of put off listening to her for so long. She's always been kind of a blind spot in my musical uh, listenership, but I listened to Blue, and I was like, oh my god, this is, this is I can see the, I can see the uh, inspiration fully. 
there is one song on women in music part three and i'm totally blanking on it right now that is like exact it sounds exactly like a, a joni mitchell song and even the way that danielle heim sings a lot of her songs she sounds very similar to joni mitchell so that was cool to see and then i listened to the new album by crumb called ice melt um it was so so it's kind of like dream core indie stuff very slow um almost falsetto uh, vocals and the the single that I liked best was Trophy. I thought that that had a very uh, melodic tune to it and I liked it a lot. Blake, uh, other than Flying Lotus, what have you been listening to this week? I, well, first, I love that you're listening to Joni Mitchell and I like the connection that they made. Like, uh, so a, a few weeks ago, I chattered about a, a podcast called X on Y. And um, in that, they talk, the Heim talks about you know or Danielle and Essie from Heim talk about their different inspirations and like it's specifically Joni Mitchell centered and so like apparently that was the first album the um blue that you're that you listened to this week their mom bought on vinyl for them and they like memorized it and that's where they got like the orchestration and all the instrumentation for their songs which is why it sounds like that so that's really neat and I love yeah, what did real quick? What did, did you like Case of You the most? Like, what songs did you like the most? The songs I liked off of off of Blue the best were Carrie and California. They looked like they were the two most listened to songs on the album, according to Spotify. So that might be like cheating by me. Um, but what song did you did you ask about, Blake? Um, my favorite on that one's called A Case of You. Um, she talks about an old lover and compares them to the sacraments of the Catholic Church, and this is a very, very interesting song. <laughs> I must have missed that one, but I'm gonna re-listen to it, and uh, I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> um, well, back to me. I loved. Um, so there's an uh, one of my favorite. Um, so there's this period of time in 2016 where every there were a lot of rappers making like really goofy like songs like Tyler the creator was the king of all these rappers you know because he and he was singing about like I mean recently like I think it was 2017 he made a song about potato salad and it just rocks but like one of from that period there's this rapper named uh Shelly FKA Dram but he made a new album after he's apparently had a terrible five years lost a lot of people in his life and so he made a new album that like is completely different from all that kind of rap and it's really rooted in like r&b 70s sounding like um soul music and it's really good so i i listened to that this week and it was it's definitely worth listening to dram i remember that i remember yeah. him in the music video too he's sick <laughs> Jess, other than Coin and Girl in Red, did you listen to anything else this week that we should know about? Any? Did um, you re-listen to a Glee, a Glee soundtrack? I did not re-listen to a Glee soundtrack, but uh, have have been enjoying discussions at work about what songs Glee would butcher if it was still around, specifically WAP, because you know they'd have to do it, and it would be really awkward. Um, but otherwise, I rediscovered a artist that I found like six months ago. Her name is Maud Latour. Uh, her most popular song is Furniture, and she's just a joy to listen to. It's kind of like angsty pop, which we all know I love, clearly. Uh, but she's she's been great. And then I've also jumped back into Lana Del Rey quite heavily. I've been listening to Norman fucking Rockwell a lot at work this week, just because you can't I can't help it I it's still I think one of my favorite album by her and I'm just I'm not quite over it so that's what I've been listening to and of course in preparation for this a lot of melodrama as always shout out to Lana Del Rey Blue Bannisters out July 4th the album cover looked you know it looked like what it looked like I'm not going to say anything else about it um, whoever her art director is needs to get a new job so anyways, <laughs> um, I think that this is a good place to start our discussion about our main topic of the week, Lord's 2017 
um, what I would probably call a critical and fan acclaimed masterpiece. Um, it was very widely regarded. Uh, I don't have like the Wikipedia page up right now, but I assume I, I think that it was up for awards. Jess will, I think that Jess will be able to fill in a lot of the gaps here. So I'll hand it off to her soon. Um, but we, last time we did Pure Heroine, so I'm really interested to see the difference between our two discussions and how we perceive um, each album in their own right. So Jess, take it away. Intro us to, to Lord's Melodrama. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll take it away from there. Yeah, so Lords, this is her sophomore album. Um, she released it in 2017. And I will say, for me, this is a no skip album, which I don't say about a lot of albums. I'm a big fan of the what I like to refer to as the playlist album, where you can kind of pick and choose the songs, they go well with other songs. But this album for me is 100% a no skip album, listen in order, respect it as is. I looking at the looking at the playlist right now or not the playlist the the order list here of this album I think the only song I don't like on this album is green light and even then it's only because it was on the radio and I had to hear it every other song in 2017 but even still it's it's a it's a great song um the big, the big thing that's fun about this album is that there is a lot of intrigue behind the relationship between Lord and Jack Antonoff during the creation of this album that we can get into. But yes, uh, to please. Give the short... this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is one of the main reasons we had you on again is because this is a, a contentious album amongst uh, Jack Antonoff and Lord fans and, you know, stands of stands of stands because of the the intrigue and the the love triangles and the you know lena dunham is just in this universe all of a sudden <laughs> she's her and you know seven separations between lord and lena dunham but this is a, a really good listen and i think i i would agree it's probably a no skip album yeah it's it's great i will say i've listened to this album more than any other album i think i've ever listened to it's by far my favorite start to finish album some of my favorite songs ever are on this album so I I hold this near and dear and the fact that there's a bunch of interpersonal drama behind the album makes it that much more fun Taylor Swift and Lord kind of stopped being friends after this album so just there's a lot of girl drama and as much as much as we we you know love good music we also love good girl drama over here so yeah Blake what do you think about this album mm, love it love the album I I always um I would I just wanted more background um which is why I, Jess is a big huge powerpoint that she put together on, on all that drama and so I think that was really interesting because it made me kind of listen to each of the songs a little bit differently um, and like the, the the story arc and the thread and then you know like some of my favorite songs on there like have shifted you know like for example um, I always loved Rider in the Dark you know and a, and apparently like that's a big that's one of the centerpieces of the controversy you know and I don't want to spoil that because Jess has an expertise on that but um, I have I've listened to the songs on and off um, since it came out so I loved Liability, Writer in the Dark. Um, I agree I don't I the thing I'm, I'm not sure if Green Light is kind of like a Great Gatsby kind of thing you know or maybe I'm just thinking of lights and that's the common thread but like after I kind of made that connection I was like oh okay that's even okay so even the worst song I'm like oh that's good so that's kind of that's kind of summary of how I feel. <laughs> it would be hard not to make that connection honestly i'm going towards that green light i want it i mean that's 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 pretty clearly i think a gatsby reference but we listened to this album for album club not too long ago and it was really fun diving back into it and so it was fun again to to have kind of gone through it with a an analytical lens and and look back i have my notes to the 
to the album right next to me and I think I still think a lot of the same things that I did two months ago <laughs> I don't think much has changed in that time but I didn't really listen to this when it came out I kind of underappreciated it because I don't think I fully understood Lord. I really liked Tennis Courts off her first album but was kind of lukewarm and listening to this um, you know two or three times over now it's it's a really really fucking good album um Jess what are okay so you you love we've established on this show especially that you're a big fan of pure heroin so how how do you kind of see these two albums as a compare and contrast like do you have to be in different moods to listen to each of the different albums how do you see these albums do you see them as a kind of linear story or as kind of on different planes give us give us your thoughts well it's interesting I think I talked about this in the last episode that we did but Lord is three weeks older than I am so the growing up arc that she has in pure heroin continues into melodrama and I think that both are an analysis of womanhood and adulthood at different stages so I think that they do in their own way cut a linear path. I think that Pure Heroin is much more like the teenage angst coming to terms with independence versus, you know, still wanting to sit at home with your parents and, and feel safe where this is very much, I'm an adult, I've now gone and seen the world and I'm having this very lurid love affair and this is how I feel about it. And as a, as she says, as a writer in the dark, she's going to write about you and it's going to be dark. So when I, uh, when I listened to this album and it came out and I got really, really into it, it was also after a pretty uh, dramatic over the top breakup. And I think that the, the parallels that she has between, between that fit, I, we all go through in a lot of ways, a ton of growth as you hit your early 20s. And when she she came out with this, I think that a lot of us were in that first, like end of our first adult love affair, as it were. And and this this tracks it just like Pure Heroin did with the the rebellious feeling that we all have our junior and senior year of high school. So yeah, I, I love the themes on this album because you kind of do see her growing up a little bit like pure heroin for sure about teen angst and I do think that there is a lot of angst and melodrama but it's a different kind of angst it's more of like a an early 20s malaise of like having resources having access to things because when you're a teenager your angst is like oh my parents kind of control my finances they control what I can and can't do they you know, if, if they pay for my car, you know, I have to, all that kind of stuff, you aren't really in control. So your angst is, is against like power structures, but like when you're in your early twenties, you probably don't live with your parents anymore. You're, you know, a little bit financially independent. Um, you can make your own decisions and no one's probably going to ask you where you're coming and going. So the, the angst is a little bit different. And I, I think that this is very reflective of her time and place. Mm -hmm. And I, I like another aspect of this album too, is like the, the shift from us and we on, on pure heroin, like in the relationship and like how it feels for her to be in that like high school styled relationship to shift into this, like it's all centered on I, like the whole album is focused on her growth after losing love, you know, personally and enlightenment that comes from that. And so I think that's a really interesting um, take. And I, I, I had a question that kind of boiled up while I was listening to it, which is, um, does this participate in like a individualistic versus collectivistic kind of like culture? Like, I mean, American pop is hyper individualized. And so it wouldn't make, it would make, complete sense that that's what's going on and I wonder like is she omitting that those aspects of her story is that like telling the full truth um and maybe like how would this album sound as like written by a collectivist <laughs> person in a culture you know like what shifts 
Well, I think that your early 20s are the most selfish time in your life. So it makes like entire sense to me that A, she's been stripped by like a given community. Because when you're in school and you're a teenager, you're kind of forced into this high school community where after you graduate and you're a full adult, like if you don't actively seek a community, you don't have one. So it makes a ton of sense that, that there's a shift to me, at least that she's going entirely in a a singular more selfish fashion as she should I think that's part of that's part of finding yourself in your early 20s and early adulthood so I don't know how this album would feel as in that community light that pure heroin is I I think it would be not as good of an album and not as relatable yeah and you think about the shifts in her life as well she goes from being a no-name you know singer from New Zealand to being one of the biggest pop stars in the world like this record has gone platinum in a few countries it's gone gold in the united states like you kind of like shrink your circle because you realize there are a lot of like when you become famous there are a lot of people that are trying to take advantage of you and want to make money off of you so it would also make sense to me that she kind of recludes back into her into her inner circle or in, just into herself in general hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, and I mean, another thing too is like the the Shadow Rider and Jack Antonoff, like, and the album being about like that kind of relationship, like her relationship with him, um, as they're producing it, you know, like that's interesting because she's collaborating with him on the upcoming album. So I wonder if that signals like a more community centered approach, like if you're able to forgive the person that you're creating the lost love album about and include him in the next album like that shows some kind of communal value and so I wonder if that's going to show up but um do you mind Jess if you like give us like a few minutes on that (laughs) drama and the context and like if it's really interesting just keep going because frankly it is (laughs) quite profound what you've done Absolutely. So I can't take credit for the discovery of this potential drama. Um, let me pull up her name. This this uh, woman, I only know her by her at, at Buzz Killery, was the one that really did the deep dive on it. Um, I discovered this through none other than TikTok, bless its heart, but I will say, prefacing this story, Lord has, Lord Amble and Jack Atenoff have refuted it many, many times, saying it's not true. But I'm going to be honest, the evidence is there. And we'll, we'll just leave it at that. So basically, the, the short version is, when Lord started working on this album, she broke with her last producer, uh, who did Pure Heroin. And also, right, as she started writing this album, it was following a breakup with her ex-boyfriend who, interesting enough, kind of going back to the the community thing, she started dating when she was 16 and he was in his 20s. I can't remember exactly what the age gap was, but it was five years plus. Um, and Crikey, mate. <laughs> yeah, not, not great, but apparently her mom loved him. So, you know, there's another seal of approval, but also... We'll just let let that be. Um, so I think it was also the first time that she hadn't been in a relationship. And I think they dated for three or four years. And she started writing this, the starts of this album. And Jack Antonoff was going to be her producer. And she moved in with him and Lena Dunham, who he was dating at the time, into their New York apartment. Also coinciding with this was the Hillary Clinton campaign for president, and Lena Dunham was one of the one of the celebrities that kind of followed Hillary Clinton around and and did a lot of campaigning for her. So, <laughs> uh, Miss Yeah, Lena Lord Dunham and- is a huge member of the pantsuit army. But because yes. every, I mean, what's Kamala Harris's the K Hive? There, she Lena Dunham is an out and out Hillary stan. Absolutely. Absolutely. And she was at the peak of this uh, campaigning during summer when Lord and Jagatnoff wrote this. 
so this would have been summer 2016. So really like key, key time in the campaign. So she was gone a lot while Lord and Jack Antonoff were writing this album. And uh, <laughs> theory is that during that time, they developed a very close and intense romantic relationship that starts with them going to, I believe it was Coachella. And that's kind of where, where green lights and sober play in. And you can track this whole, this whole story start to finish in this album. And they're, like I said, lurid love affair as they try to deal with a having an affair while also living in someone else's house <laughs> and also trying to create this this here masterpiece that's that's happening here so basically as I'm sure we can all infer um they were together but not together and then it ended and she finished this album and Lena Dunham came back and they broke up and then when Lord started doing press releases for this album and like press tours, there's a, she did a very famous performance and I can't remember what night show it was on, but one of the, one of the night shows that she and Jack Antonoff went and did, she wore a wedding dress sitting next to him while he played. Uh, there is tons of photographic evidence of all of this. It's, Anytime that they were on stage together, there's a palpable energy. We're talking, we're talking Lady Gaga and what's his name um, that was in that was Bradley in Cooper. Star Is Born. Bradley Cooper. We're talking like that level and more of stage chemistry. And we all know what happened shortly after Bradley Cooper's performance at uh, the Oscars. So we'll just put it. We'll just put that out there um and they're back and making another album so the other thing the other bit with this is taylor swift who famously has her girl gang um was very good friends with lena dunham and lord at the time and is no longer friends with lord so we'll <laughs> we'll let that lie where it lies but i ardently believe that this album is about jack atnoff and this is their very weird very toxic romantic whatever um and I don't really care because either way we got melodrama out of it and that's what basically the whole relationship was it was melodrama it was petty celebrity melt like melodramatics so however it got here we got this album and it's great and listening to it with the lens of a woman who's dealing with being the other woman absolutely it tracks all the way through so it also makes Writer in the Dark and Perfect Places very different songs. So I don't know. There is a link to a PowerPoint. If you want it, DM me on Instagram. Happy to send it to you. <laughs> we'll, we'll include it in the show notes. Um, I love the gauche nature of wearing a wedding dress <laughs> while playing a, a live performance with a guy who you're like cheating, like you're he's cheating on someone to be with you that's that's the type of like petty celebrity stuff that i love because it hurts no one but the petty celebrities so a, <laughs> a plus a plus to um buzz killery you know shout out it's a good powerpoint like i said we'll link it in the notes but um you know blake you you're some would say that you're somewhat of an academic on conflict so like do you see that conf that 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 like high level conflict in this absolutely. in this album? Absolutely. Like I like Jess was talking about like toxicity. Um, and I know that toxic relationship is like kind of a buzzword right now. But the way that I think about like toxic communication in relationships, um, there's this scholarship, I think I may have talked about it before. It's called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So there's four things in a relationship that just destroy um, connection and trust. And so like, so the four are defensiveness, criticism, contempt, and stonewalling. Um, and so you see all of those 
just strewn through you know and so like it may or may not be about him but like 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 Jess was saying but like the the criticism toward herself is also toxic if it, if it's like only that you know so like so that's 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 like right there so like and even the best songs on the the album that like you don't think have some level of toxicity in them um they do which is true of relationships too like when there's a when there's an environment of toxicity in a relationship it stems through all of the communication so 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 let me give some examples so um that my favorite song of the album is the Louvre and um that is a really interesting song because like she's kind of stonewalling whoever she's actually going to the Louvre with right she the subtext of the song is like we have all these amazing opportunities because we're rich and we're doing these things like going to the Louvre and yet like there's this emptiness going on right and the and what emptiness is is it's created from stonewalling like and usually it's in a dynamic right so if so like that's that's just one little aspect of how it's kind of strewn in there um so like that's one like not only is it just like filled with conflict but it's like actually toxic conflict that's kind of in there and that's the thing that happens when you grow up you know you just grow up with all these behaviors and dynamics that you're like oh actually as an adult I look back and like I I was defensive for the majority of my childhood <laughs> you know so yeah and there's I feel like she, like it comes down to a lot of posturing. Like she's, um, I think she realizes that yeah, she's the like the nineteen year old other woman who's like moving in on this guy's relationship, and yeah, she's kind of like weaponizing her, her, um, her communication or her interactions with this other person to like get something weird out of it. I don't know. It is. It does sound like a classic, just like hot and heavy love affair that didn't really work out <laughs> in the end <laughs> in a melodramatic way i think it i think the subject matter hits exactly what it's trying to mm. just a, another question i had is like in some of the reviews that a lot of writers were talking about the album and that she had found some kind of enlightenment through her journey inward and i'm just wondering where like they, like they didn't give examples exactly. So I'm just wondering if that's like something that y'all heard is like she found some kind of like knowledge or under new understanding she didn't have previously by going into herself and understanding like this, this um, process of losing like love and what lessons she learned from that if it's in there at all i think for me like what she probably learned is that she can weaponize her emotions and that it's probably like kind of messed up to do that um mm. i don't know that's just off of like first reactions that's what i instantly go to is like yeah she's she realizes i think that she realizes the nature the her calling it melodrama for me tells me that she did learn that this is all very melodramatic and it could have been solved a million different better ways but she decided to make art out of it jess you look like mm -hmm. you're gonna say something well i think the other thing too the other way you can read this album is i think largely a realization that herself as a person is not a perfect person uh i mean there's the obvious hitters of loveless and hard feelings or I think she shows it a little bit for in Writer in the Dark as well, where she realizes that I think there's the line of um, all they'll see is one girl dancing alone, stroking her cheek. Um, I can't remember if that's from Loveless. I think that's from Loveless. Um, but I think it's it's realizing the relationship with yourself as and with herself in this case, and understanding that she can be toxic and that she has ownership of these these situations that these melodramatic situations that she's put herself in that at the time felt highly highly dramatic but in in retrospect like Brendan was saying were actually not that big of a deal at least in the the grand scheme of things 
but I absolutely think that there's a self-awareness here throughout the album that she did not have in Pure Heroin. Yeah, and there, I think, yeah, exactly. She realizes that a lot of this is, like, kind of silly, but the stakes are still set really high. Like, she's she has a song called The Louvre. It, it, in most circles, it's seen as the best, you know, collection of art and historical items in, in the modern world. And, like, she has a song called Homemade, or is it Homemade Dynamite or just Dynamite? I think it's homemade I think it's dynamite. homemade dynamite. Yeah, like she's talking about blowing shit up with homemade dynamite, like being a domestic terrorist. You know what I mean? Like the stakes are the stakes are high, yet the subject matter is like a torrid affair. <laughs> so it it uh I do like that contrast. That yeah, I think that she does realize that this is all a little funny and that she made, you know, millions of dollars singing about it. <laughs> um why don't we uh talk about our fave tracks and then we can we can uh wrap it up on on melodrama and give our final thoughts um, and move into our last portion i will go first i love perfect places um blow my brains out to the radio again being so melodramatic like only a 19 year old i think would sing that and then I also do love Homemade Dynamite, and I have in my notes here, her specialty is fitting lyrics and rhythms where they shouldn't fit. Um, and I think that this also has a lot to do with Jack Antonoff. Um, it was very apparent on uh, Taylor Swift's Look What You Made Me Do. Is that the is that the song, Look What You Made Me Do? Or, yeah, I'm getting nods. Um, you know, it doesn't, it sounds kind of offbeat and it sounds like it shouldn't work, but it does. And I think that that totally applies to Homemade Dynamite. Um, Jess, you said it's a no skip album, so you could probably say, well, every song is my fave, but what are your top three in no order? So I think right now, I, like I said, I've listened to this album at this point, probably thousands of times. Uh, and I think that my favorites have definitely changed over the years. As of right now, I'd probably say Supercut. The Louvre is still, it was my favorite song off this album when it first came out and it's still my favorite song off this album. And then probably Perfect Places or Melodrama. I know you said only three, but I'm gonna give you four. So, but I will say I like, or The Louvre has held up for me throughout the the many many renditions of me listening to this so those are probably probably my favorite I do love her melodrama in Rider in the Dark but I can't can't put it on the faves list unfortunately hmm. yeah I I also love the Louvre so much and and when I went to look at some of the track track information and some of like some context for it she wrote it after listening to frank ocean's blonde which the album club just listened to and discussed this last week um and that's why i probably like it so much is because in conversation with that like it's such a fascinating song about like it, it it shows this duality between like living an outward life of like going to the louvre you know like spending time in the city spending money and being rich and famous but also inwardly having this like dread and disconnection and loneliness and I think um it does that in a kind of an upbeat poppy way and that's what's so fa fascinating to me about that song and it, it's in a great conversation with that whole Frank Ocean album um so if you know listen to that if you haven't so I love the loop and I love, um, I do really like Liability still after listening to it. And I think it's because my brothers play the piano. And so anytime like I hear just a basic piano ballad, like I just kind of think of that. And, um, but I just think like any any of the songs on any album that kind of the, the main point is acceptance is just like embracing the hard truth that you've been hiding from. Um, you know, and then when you pair that theme with a piano, like it just, 
it's very calming but it's kind of you know it's like you get get a little grief in there so i i think that's probably why that resonates with me so much is it, there's a pattern there um because it's just such a nice thing when you can embrace a reality that you've been hiding from or fighting against for a long time and i think liability is just a song doing that here's a here's a hot take i have written down in my notes that i'm not sure why i wrote um liability solid ballad captures the feeling of the song perfectly i think i like the reprise better (laughs) (laughs) why do you like the reprise better um honestly like i said i don't know why i wrote that i think that okay. that's a dumb opinion by me and no, on the no, re-listen no, i on the on the re-listen i don't think i agree with myself but um <laughs> <laughs> but i don't i think that that's an interesting point though because just when i asked you what your favorite out what your favorite songs are you said well at the moment and i think that that goes to the sense that this album has that it kind of can take on a lot of different lives at a lot of different times because there is so much in here about like growing up being in the liminal space between being a teenager and a full-fledged adult with a family and kind of how you just feel lost and need a torrid love affair to make your life spicy or like find meaning or, and you need to do a lot of soul searching along the way so I I love, 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 love this album. Um, I want to give you guys a chance to give your final thoughts. Um, I I think it's a really special album just because you get to see her growing up, like we've talked about. It's it's kind of a, a bleeding admission of like, I'm kind of a dumb teenager, but I'm a good enough like musician and artist to make it into high art and to make you all interested. Um, Let's go, let's go, Blake, final thoughts. And then Jess, we will give you the, the, the microphone last to, to round this out. So Blake, go ahead. Sure. Um, I posed a question on the first podcast when we listened to Pure Heroine about whether or not she was going to get to a, a depth of self-reflection, um, not knowing or making the connection with this album as a, a full album on that and that alone. And so after listening to that and thinking about that question I posed, I kind of frame, I would frame this album as like, um, that it, it partially does that. Like it allows that, that self-reflection, like it shows the self-reflection that she, that she got to, you know, about like recognizing her own needs and coming into her own body and recognizing just taking more ownership and control of her life through that reflection. Um, and I think the real answer for me was like she acknowledging that per, like she kind of critiquing the perfectionism that she had grown up and demanding of herself is kind of the answer. So like, yeah, she didn't reflect as deeply as she could have or shown us everything, but it was enough, you know, and I, it was enough that it gets us thinking. And that's really the only um, thing that matters because you know, with, with, within reflection is it's more of a process thing. It's not really an outcome-based thing. And so it's just interesting to create a piece of art that has a beginning and an end that captures um, a process also. Um, And so anytime that can happen where you have a process-based like thing, thing like self-reflection that you're able to capture within a, like within a bookend, it's a really special piece of work. So I think that's why um, it resonates and I listen to it. Yeah, she really she really takes a deep dive into her own emotional psyche in this album. I think, I think you hit the nail right on the head, Blake. Um, I think for me, the reason that this album stands up year after year for me uh, is just the, the simple fact of she captures, just like she did in Pure Heroine, such a such a specific yet relatable emotion in the the chaos of both becoming a woman but also still hanging on to some of the immaturity of childhood as she navigates these new and un, unforeseen melodramatic waters and 
I think that in a lot of ways, she speaks to what it is to be a woman in your early 20s as you, as you navigate both your sexuality and then also your internal like self-loathing for lack of a better, for lack of a better term. And then also trying to decide how to manage your individualism while also being told from every corner of the earth that your relationship to whoever you're in a romantic partnership is, is what defines you. So as, like I said, overall, this album stands up for me year after year, just because, I mean, it's great. It's a great album, musically, lyrically, emotionally. I think that she, she hits every, every point for me and whether the Jack Antonoff stuff is true or not, they made a damn good album and I'm excited to see what they do next. Agreed. It'll be, I think it's going to be a good year for music coming out. Um, we've, we've talked about a lot and there's, there's some projects coming up that I'm, I'm getting excited about Japanese breakfast, uh, June 4th. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm counting down the damn days. <laughs> um, and the, we, uh, this is a, an aside. Um, me and Jess bought tickets to Ogden Twilight this summer. Um, outdoor venue. I'm I'm sure that they will probably require masks. Maybe we'll see. Um, but uh, thinking about Japanese breakfast led me to that because she's going to be performing there. And it if you would have told me a year ago that I'd be buying concert tickets now, I would have told you that you're crazy. So who knows? Maybe Lord will stop by SLC sometime soon. <laughs> oh, yeah. We can all go together. They still got a September 3rd question mark over their posters. So there's <laughs> yeah, no ruling exactly. that out, apparently. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, yes, we, we love Lord. We love Melodrama. Um, thank you, Jess, so much for picking it and, and for coming back on. Because yes, we, we needed your expertise and opinions on this. Um, that moves us into the final final section of our show for the week. One big recommendation. Um, everyone's favorite part of the show. <laughs> I know it's one of my favorite parts. But um, does anyone have a burning desire to go first or should I go first? Me, I'm, I'm getting some. I'm getting some me's. Let's go. How does this sound? Me, Blake, then Jess. Great. So, I want to recommend the show Mayor of Easttown. Um, it's on HBO, featuring Kate Winslet as a uh, homicide detective in Pennsylvania. She's doing an incredible Pennsylvania accent. It's it's a it's a smash hit. The cast is great. Guy Pierce, uh, Gene Smart, a, a, caval- a cavalcade of others, uh, well-known character actors, and the tension is great. The story is great so far. The characters are amazing. If you have HBO, you should watch it. Um, and I honestly can't remember if I've already shouted it out already. If I if I've shouted Mary Beastown out, so if I have, uh, my apologies. My replacement recommendation is an Instagram account called Jamie Lee Curtis Tate. They are a photographer. Um, they, I love their style. Um, I honestly could not describe what their style is to you, but it's a type of like street pop photography that you know really encapsulates the the weird and messed up world that we live in. So go check out Mayor of Easttown. And if I've already shouted that out, I'm sorry. Go follow Jamie Lee Curtis Tate on Instagram. <laughs> um, Blake, take it away. Great. Um, my recommendation is a little podcast. Um, I Maybe you've heard of it. It's the Slow Burn podcast. It's, they've done five seasons. Um, but the current season is about the buildup to the Iraq war. Um, and also like just what created it, how... To, how did we get into it for so long? Where did the, the intelligence or lack thereof come from? Like, it just gets into this hor- the historical context of that. And so it's a really interesting listen so far. Like I, the first episode goes into some, um, some of the longer term history of, of like, um, like it doesn't go all the way back to like colonialism, you know, but it starts with like the nineties and the, and the different, um, 
Islamic tribes and people vying for power and 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 the rise of uh, bin Laden and things. So it's it's really interesting, um, especially because it's in our lifetime. <laughs> now it, it's history, I guess. Um, and then I just also wanted to re-chatter a chatter from Brendan, who told me to watch a show on Amazon Prime called Couples Therapy, which I have been watching. And it is uh, it is very eye-opening. Like, it's, I don't, you know, like, I don't, it, what's really interesting about it is, like, if you're, it, 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 tells, it tells these couples stories through their therapy sessions with a the therapist, and only that, but it's done in a, kind of a more tasteful way where it's not like glamorizing like the relational violence it's just demonstrating and showing it as a process and how like this therapist is working through it but it also shows her therapeutic work on the backside and how she is able to find the space and like find a balance of not being biased and having her perspectives um challenged by another therapist as a way to like bring in her her approach and so it's it's really good like and it also can help uh you check some check some things about yourself too without having to pay a lot of money for therapy so that's that's good <laughs> yeah couples therapy um jess was actually the one who exposed it to me Ooh, so triple, triple. shout out to shout out to her it honestly feels like I shouldn't be watching it. It like doesn't feel like naughty, but it feels almost invasive, even though you know, okay, these people have agreed to do this. There's no way. Like, yeah, it, yeah. it is it's, like it's expertly shot. Yes, yes. Right, right. I like, <laughs> I like how you're framing it. Like you just shouldn't be in the room. Like this, these are the no. things that like, you're at a family party and someone ex- like self-discloses something. You're like, oh, this isn't, this isn't for me. Like this is, this is for someone else. This is for your spouse. Yeah. Like, yep. It's, it's a, it's an incredible show. And I'm so happy that you shouted it out. Um, Jess, take it away. Uh, for those of you at home who have watched Couples Therapy and would like more content from that therapist, she will be going on the controversial Call Her Daddy podcast on Wednesday next week, which is how I discovered that the show existed because that podcast host, Alex Cooper, was the one who shouted out on her Instagram. So take or leave Call Her Daddy as it will, but it is bound to be a fascinating episode, uh, all things considered. So I will be, I will be tuning in for sure. Um, I have two kind of interesting, sh- interesting shout outs. Um, I recently have read the prequel to the Hunger Games series and it's launched me into a Hunger Games revival. I am almost done with the last book, uh, Mockingjay right now. I've got about two hours left in the audiobook, And I have to say, I haven't read them since I was a kid, like early, early teenager, and it holds up. The books are really, really good, particularly as an adult. I have thoroughly enjoyed revisiting them with my newly found life experience in the 10 years since I've read them. And if you are an adult who's looking for a way to get back into reading, it, it definitely has reinvigorated and is much more thoughtful as an adult read as opposed to a child's read. And the prequel, which I don't usually love when authors write prequels to books, that they've to book series that they've already written. The prequel is fascinating, very very good. Susan Collins, excellent writer, and she really, I mean, she really started a a movement with the dystopian YA novels. So we got to give her where credit credit where credits due. And also those movies, which I rewatched this week, also hold up. So that's my weird shout out. Other, my other shout out um, is a book I just finished. It's called Conjure Woman. Uh, it's by Afia Atorakora. It was just a, a very, very fascinating, very well-written book. And I thoroughly enjoyed it and highly, highly recommend it. The audiobook is great and I'm sure physically reading it is also excellent. Um, this <laughs> has been really fun, Jess. Thank you so much. Um, you have a lovely mind and you're a lovely girlfriend. So thank you for coming mm. on the podcast this week. 
and talking about Lord with us. Thanks for yeah, having thank me. I appreciate it. All right, guys. This has been uh, episode numero 13. Um, we're recording this on Cinco de Mayo. So happy Cinco and de Mayo. And Carl Marx's so- birthday, believe it or not. <laughs> okay, that I, yes. Woo! <laughs> no, really. Um, happy Cinco de Mayo for anyone uh, who's celebrating. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.